Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, will you open to Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15 this morning? Currently, we're in a sermon series walking through the book of Colossians. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Brady. I'd love to meet with you after the service today at the Welcome Center um, and would love to get to know you better. As you find Colossians 2, verses 9 through 15, I want to share with you something about my childhood, which is always a dangerous thing, right? But growing up, my mom loved to watch soaps particularly days of our lives. Y'all remember this, like through the sands of an hourglass or something like that. And so she would record these on VHS when I was at school and we would come home and before we could watch the shows I wanted to watch, like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Family Matters, all of those kind of things, we had to watch on VHS, she had to play that day's episode of Days of Our Lives. I didn't catch a lot of it, but I did catch enough of it, which probably I shouldn't have as a kid, right? Like, but I, I did catch enough of it to know this. Almost every time that I caught an episode, there was someone in a hospital. <laughs> they woke up and they didn't know who they were. They had a case of amnesia. Which, because they did not know who they were, they would fall in love with someone else only to remember who they were and who they used to love, creating an awkward love triangle later on. I don't know how many times I saw that same thing over and over. And I thought, how could that town, for days of our lives, have that many cases of amnesia? It must have been contagious. But not knowing who you are is a problem. And it's actually, actually the problem that the Colossians were dealing with that Paul is writing this letter to address. They had not forgotten their physical identity. They hadn't forgotten their names, but they had forgotten who they were in Christ. They had forgotten their spiritual identity. And just like the Colossians, I'm afraid that we forget our spiritual identities Here's our big idea for the morning. We often suffer from spiritual amnesia. Therefore, we need to be reminded daily of our identity in Christ. And this, ide this idea of identity in Christ is an idea that theologians use a term, and they use a term called union with Christ. Union with Christ. This idea of union with Christ is all over the New Testament. The phrase in Christ is used over 180 times in the New Testament. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. This idea of union with Christ is a theological term that means how it refers to how we are linked, connected to Christ. How we are bonded to him. And how he is bonded to us through the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. And union with Christ and identity in Christ go right together. Here's how one theologian, Rankin Wilborn, put it. He said, if you are in Christ, your life and your story 
become enfolded by another story. Another's story. You don't have to discover or craft, create or achieve, invent or reinvent your own identity. Catch this. Your identity is found not deep within yourself, but outside yourself. Your self-understanding becomes inseparable from who God says you are in Christ. Let me say this simply. The world does not tell you who you are. Your feelings do not tell you who you are. This morning, we need to hear from the Word of God and let the Word of God tell us who we are in Christ. So who does God say we are? Well, I want to look at six aspects this morning from this text of our identity in Christ. But I must stop for a moment and say something very clearly. These six aspects of our, of our identity in Christ belong to those who are in Christ and have union with him. This means those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to know these six identities are not true of you, keyword, yet. But if you will trust in Christ, these six identities will be true of you even this morning if you will place your faith in him. So let's look at these six identities, six aspects of our identity in Christ this morning. First, we'll find that in Christ, you are filled by him. In Christ, you are filled by him. Look at verse 9. It says, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Now notice how Paul makes it clear here that Jesus is superior to any of their critics that are coming alongside and saying, oh, you need to move beyond Jesus. He says, no, Jesus is, has the actual nature of God dwelling in him, the fullness of God. Jesus isn't some teacher that you can get started with and move beyond. He's actually the fullness of God, and he is the head over everything. So I want you to know this morning, Jesus has no rivals. Alabama and Tennessee, they're rivals. I'm glad y'all came this morning, even for, for in mourning after, after yesterday. Alabama and Tennessee are rivals. But I want you to know, Jesus has no rivals because there's no one who can compete with him. Buddha is not his rival. Muhammad is not his rival. Even the devil himself is not a rival for Jesus because he is head over everything. Amen? So Jesus is over all. So notice Paul's logic here. He is saying... Jesus has the fullness of God in him, dwelling in him. And notice what he says. And the one who has the fullness of God in him has filled you. So the one who has the fullness of God has filled you with his Holy Spirit. So that is who you are. You have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you. Now this morning, there's a temptation to read this text and go, oh yeah, ho-hum. 
Those things are true. Don't let that happen in your soul this morning. I want you once again to be blown away by these mind-blowing truths that we have the one who created the universe, his Holy Spirit is living inside every boy, girl, man, or woman who has placed their faith in Christ. Isn't that incredible? So we are filled by him. Now, in college, um, Tim and I both, I went to seminary in Louisville and Tim went to seminary in Louisville. Um, and when I lived there, Tim, I... I never had more than a quarter of a tank in my car. I drove this big Ford Expedition because I could fit everything I owned in that Expedition. If you didn't know this, an Expedition is actually the right size. A twin mattress can fit right in the back. But that thing got 12 to 13 miles a gallon. And I never had enough money to get more than a quarter of a tank. I'd go put $5 in, Maybe if it was a good week, $10 in, that kind of thing. I just never had more than a quarter of a tank in my car. But I'm afraid too many Christians feel like they're only filled to a quarter of a tank. But what this text tells you is that Jesus has filled you, not with a quarter of a tank, but he's filled you to the brim with his Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? So that's the first thing about your identity in Christ is you are filled by him. The second thing that you must see is that in Christ, you are given his seal. Look at verse 11. It says, you were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. Now you might say, pastor, this verse is confusing. Well, let me bring a little clarity to it. Circumcision was an Old Testament custom that God had commanded Abraham and for Abraham and his children as a sign that they were God's people. When they received circumcision, it was a sign that a seal, a marker, that they were God's people and would God would keep his promises to them. It was a family mark. A few years ago, I decided I wanted a wax seal with an M on it for Martin. And I was going to put it on every letter that I wrote, every note that I wrote, I was gonna get a wax seal and put it on there. So I got one ordered, it has an M on it, family crest, it's awesome. Calvin and I were looking at it last night. And so we were, we were talking about it and it's really cool and I was explaining it to him and the reason that wax seals were so important in the past was that people would need a way to authenticate their letters. How did, how did you know if that letter was actually from the house that it said it was? Because then anybody could have written a letter impersonating someone. How did you know that letter was authentic? Well, you put the family seal on it with a crest. You marked it. It authenticated. It showed ownership. It showed which house it was from. And that's what God was doing with Abraham. He was saying, Abraham, I want you to be circumcised and I want all your children to be circumcised and it will be a sign to the world who my people are. They are the circumcised. They're the ones who have the mark on them. They're the one who has the family seal that says, this is God's people. He has put ownership. He's authenticated them. It was his family seal upon them. But circumcision was a temporary seal placed upon God's people. 
It pointed forward to a better circumcision. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, yes, in the Old Testament, God marked out his people with a sign of the flesh through circumcision. But in the new covenant, you do not have to find out if someone's circumcised to know if they're part of God's people. How do you know if someone is part of God's people? How do you know if they have the mark of God, the family seal of God? Well, we find out that it's actually in the new covenant, a circumcision, he says, not done with hands. Well, this is referring to Ezekiel 36. In Ezekiel 36, God promises that one day he is going to do something. He's not just going to have physical circumcision, but there's going to be a spiritual circumcision where God circumcises the hearts of his people. And what he means is that he will give us a new heart. And what Ezekiel 36 says is that he will send his Holy Spirit to dwell in every believer. You see, the sign of circumcision in the Old Testament was given to the male children of Abraham. But in the New Covenant, every man, woman, boy, and girl who have believed in Jesus are given his Holy Spirit, are given a new heart. And when they are, that is the sign that you have God's family seal upon you. Why is this important? Why is this important? Because when you receive a new heart and you receive the Holy Spirit, it is God putting his family seal upon you. It's him taking that marker and authenticating your life and saying, this one's mine. He's my adopted son, and I'm putting my family seal on him. She's my adopted daughter, and I'm putting my family seal on her. I am authenticating her as a believer. I'm authenticating him as a believer. So this morning, I want you to know how do you know if someone is a part of the family of God? Have they received a new heart? Have they been indwelt by the Holy Spirit? That is the mark of the people of God. So the second aspect of our identity is we've been given the seal of God's family. We have been given a new heart in the Holy Spirit. That's the second aspect to your identity. The third is that in Christ, you are spiritually alive. You are spiritually alive. Look at verse 12. It says, When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism, right up here in the baptistry when we do baptism, it is a living picture it is like a play being enacted. It's a dramatic reenactment of the doctrine of union with Christ. What do we say? Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. You see, because we are united to Christ, it says we're buried with him because it's telling a story. It's telling a story that we were once dead in our sin but through the Holy Spirit we've been made alive together with Christ now let me be clear baptism is not when you become alive baptism does not make you alive but baptism is a sign a reenactment of what's already happened in your heart that you died and you've risen with and become alive in Christ and I think sometimes we underappreciate this. I think we underappreciate the fact that we were spiritually dead before we came to know Christ. 
The Bible doesn't say that we were just teetering. It says we were spiritually dead. And I don't know your story, but if you are a believer in Christ, I want you to know every one of us has a story B.C. Right? A story B.C. before Christ. We all have a story that was before we came to know Christ as Savior. And here's what I want you to know. that I don't know the particulars of your story, but I know what the Bible says, that apart from believing in Christ, we were all spiritually dead. We were helpless and we were hopeless without Christ. But God, Ephesians 2 tells us, he sent his Holy Spirit, he convicted us of sin, we repented of our sin, and what the Bible says is he made us alive together with Christ. So your life B.C., before Christ, dead in sin, your life because of Christ is now A.D., and you are someone who is now spiritually alive. But here's what I want you to know about your identity. Too many people live their lives as if they are spiritual zombies, somewhere halfway between dead and alive. But we are, because we have the Holy Spirit, spiritually alive. Aren't you glad that you're spiritually alive this morning? So that's our third aspect of our identity. We are spiritually alive. Alive. Oh, and if, we, if you have never followed Jesus in baptism, where you've shown people that you were once dead and now you are alive, we have baptism scheduled next week. We would love to see you baptized to show, go public with your profession that you were who you were BC and now who you are after you've believed in Christ. We would love for you to do that. Fourth, the fourth aspect of your identity in Christ is that you, in Christ, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Look at verse 13. And you were dead, there's that word dead again, in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. But he made you alive with him and forgave us, catch this, all our trespasses. Notice the key word there, all. Jesus did not come to die for some of your sins. Jesus did not come to die for the worst of your sins or the least of your sins. He came to die for all of our sins. Aren't you glad that we can sing Jesus paid it all? Can you imagine if we got up here and Todd started leading us and he said, Jesus paid some... The rest is up to you. It just doesn't have the same ring to it. It doesn't work. But what do we sing? My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. He's forgiven all our trespasses in Christ. I want to remind you, child of God, of your identity this morning. You are a forgiven child of God. Your worst sins have been washed clean. That's your new identity. But often we forget this identity, and the devil keeps us trapped in our guilt. I want to tell you a story that I think makes this point well. 
heard this story once of this little boy and little girl, Johnny and Sally, and they were going to stay with their grandparents for the, for the week. And Johnny had just gotten his first ever slingshot. And he wasn't very good. He went out in the backyard and he shot at everything and he kept missing. And when he, he came back, he saw his grandma's pet duck. And so he pulled that slingshot back. And for, for the first time in his life, he hit what he aimed at. And he killed the duck. And then he panicked. What am I going to do? So he takes the duck and he hides it and goes and buries it. And he, he thinks he's got away with it. He'll just act like the ducks run off. But then he looks over and his sister Sally has watched the whole thing. <laughs> but she doesn't say a word. Well, later that evening, the grandma says, well, it's time to set up the kitchen and get ready for dinner. And Sally, would you come help me? And Sally says, oh, no, 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 no. Grandma, I'd be happy to. But Johnny told me he really wanted to do that tonight. And he looked at her funny, and he, she goes, don't you, Johnny? And then she whispers, remember the duck? She kept on with it all week, thing after thing. She kept whispering, remember the duck. And he kept doing the chores. He did his chores. He did her chores until he was fed up with it and he just couldn't handle it any longer. And he went to his grandma and he finally said, Grandma, I've got to tell you something. Well, I, at the beginning of the week, I took my slingshot and I killed your pet duck. She looked at him. She smiled with warmness and kindness in her eyes. And she says, I know, Johnny. I was watching from the window. But I love you, and I forgave you right then. I've just been wondering how long you would let your sister make you a slave. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, God loves you, and you have been forgiven all of your sins. Don't let the devil make you a slave. You have been forgiven. That's the fourth element to your identity in Christ. Fifth, in Christ you are set free. You are set free. Notice what it says in verse 14. He erased the certificate of debt. Notice the vivid imagery in this verse. He's saying as if this, he's using this metaphor of a certificate of debt that we owed because of our sin with its obligations. What are the obligations for our sin debt? Death and eternal separation from God in a place called hell. He says he took that debt and its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and he has taken it away by what? Nailing it to the cross. I love this about Paul and the turn of phrase he's using. He says he took that debt and he nailed it to the cross when Jesus was the one who was nailed to the cross. He has set us free. You see, the debt that we owe to God for our sin, God offers to pay for it himself in Jesus Christ. And Jesus goes and he, 
He nails our debt to the cross and in so doing sets us free from our debt. And so what does that mean? What does it mean that we're free? What does he set us free from? Two things. Number one, Jesus sets us free from the penalty of our sin. Every person who has ever lived outside the Lord Jesus Christ is a sinner and deserves to be separated from God for eternity in a place called hell. But Jesus took that punishment for us that if we are in Christ, we are not hell bound, but we are destined for heaven for eternity. Jesus frees us from the penalty of our sin, but he doesn't just free us from the penalty of our sin, he frees us from the power of our sin. He frees us from the power of our sin because Jesus paid for your sin, brother and sister, hear this. Then sin no longer has to dominate you. You do not have to be trapped in addiction. You do not have to be addicted to alcohol, drugs, or pornography. You don't have to be trapped in pride or legalism. You can be set free to pursue a life of godliness. Isn't that good news? That's your identity. You are someone who has been set free by the blood of Jesus. There's a story that I think makes this point well, but I'm not sure about its historical accuracy. But I think it's worth telling. Abraham Lincoln, the story goes, was one day passing by a slave trade. And and he looks up and there's a girl at the auction being sold. And it moves him. And he hears the men cry out, $2, $3, $5. How much is this girl worth? And... Lincoln comes and he outbids all the others and he buys this young woman. And the young woman, he goes to collect her and she has fear in her eyes. She'll barely even look at him. She doesn't know what her new master is going to do. And Abraham Lincoln looks at her and says, listen, I bought you to set you free. I paid the price that you could go free. She says, what, what does that mean? He says, it means you're free. She looks confused for a moment and trying to process it all. And Abraham Lincoln, he says to her, he says, listen, he says, where, where do you think you'll go? She thought about it for a moment. She says, does being free mean I can go wherever I want? He said, yeah, that's what it means. And she says, sir, then... I think I'd like to go with you because you are the one who set me free. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that Jesus Christ has paid the price for you. He has set you free. And so our response is to say, I think I'd like to go with you. He set us free from the penalty of our sin, from the power of our sin, but he set us free to follow him with our lives. That is who we are. We are set free. And lastly, the sixth aspect of your identity in Christ is in Christ, you are on the winning team. You are on the winning team. Now, notice what it says in verse 15. This is one of the best verses in all of the Bible. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. 
He triumphed over them in him. Now notice the phrase that Paul's using. Disgraced them publicly and triumphed over his enemies. This is an aspect of the atonement that theologians call Christus Victor. It's a Latin phrase that shows how Jesus has triumphed over Satan, sin, and death through his death and resurrection. Jesus was victorious, as we sang on that first Easter morning. But what I want to remind you this, this morning is this. The outcome was not close. It was not a close game. He disgraced them, his enemies, publicly. This language reminds me of the most lopsided game in college football history. It was between Cumberland College and Georgia Tech. Jennifer's dad actually wrote a book about this game. So in Cumberland College, just up the road in Lebanon, Tennessee, had been scheduled to play on October 7th, 1916, Georgia Tech. But here was the problem. In 1915, Cumberland College decided to end their football program. But they were under contractual obligation to play the game in 1916. Just one game that year, but they didn't have a team. So they decided they would get the baseball team and anybody they could find to go play Georgia Tech. It did not go well. The final score, as you can see there, was 222 to zero. So hear me. When your team loses their next game, remember this, it could be worse. <laughs> that was for Jake Dorak. But as bad as this game was, I want you to know it is not nearly as lopsided as when Jesus went to the cross and came out of the tomb where he defeated Satan, death, and sin forever. He disgraced his enemies publicly. Why does it say he disgraced their, his enemies publicly? It was because when he came out of the tomb that first Easter morning, it was a sign to everyone around and to all the world and to every generation from then on that Jesus was victorious. The devil took his best shot, sin took his best shot, death took its best shot, but Jesus is still standing. And here's the good news. That because of your union with Christ, you're on his team. Have you ever heard someone say, man, I'm so glad we won one on Saturday. And the we there is interesting because they were at home watching the game. But because of their relationship to the team, it was a we won. But that's what the doctrine of union with Christ is. It's because of our relationship with Christ, his victory, the one we just sat and watched, the one we didn't lift a finger to accomplish, his victory through his death and resurrection is our victory. 
so we can sing, oh, victory in Jesus. And it's not just about his victory. It's about our victory too. And in union with Christ, we are part of the winning team. We know how this story ends. We know who sits on the throne forever with all the worship of the nations. And so I want you to know this morning that there's a lot of things going on in the world that I do not love. But do not let that make you think that Jesus is still not winning. He is the one who has defeated all of his enemies and publicly disgraced them and triumphed over them. So, brother and sister, let me tell you this. Don't live as if your Savior's losing. You are part of his winning team. So the truth is, just like the Colossians, we often suffer from spiritual amnesia. And we need to be reminded daily of our identity in Christ. Several years ago, there was a movie that came out called 50 First Dates with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. And in this movie, um, Adam Sandler meets Drew Barrymore and he falls in love with her. But here's the catch. She has short-term memory loss. And so every day he can't rem- she can't remember him. And so he has to go on 50 first dates with her and win her heart each time. And by the end of the movie, eventually um, he has developed a system where he films a video that she wakes up each morning and watches that reminds her of who she is and who her relationship is with. She had a need to be daily reminded of who she was. The truth is, so do we. We need to be reminded daily of who we are in Christ. We are people who have been filled by him. We are people who've been given his family seal. We are people who are spiritually alive. We are forgiven fully, freely, and forever. We have been set free from the penalty and power of sin, and we are on the winning team. That is who we are in Christ. So hear me this morning. Do not let the world tell you who you are. Let the Word tell you who you are. Don't let your feelings tell you who you are. Let Jesus tell you who you are. Don't let your job tell you who you are. Don't let your bank account tell you who you are. Let your God in heaven tell you who you are, and He will tell you this morning, you are his because you are in Christ and isn't that a message our world needs to hear let's pray together father I thank you so much for this beautiful doctrine of union with Christ father I pray this morning that if there is one person in this room who does not know Jesus as savior and they've never been united to him by faith I pray that they will trust him And today we'll be united and these identities will be true of them. Father, if there's someone here who has never been baptized, who's never shown that picture of death to life, I pray that this morning they will step forward and say, I want to be baptized. Father, I pray for those who need a church family. I pray that they will join our church this morning. But Father, I also pray for everyone in this room who knows Christ I pray that these identity markers will be pressed deeper into their soul and they will be reminded this week. And I pray that you will remind them daily of who they are. Every day can feel like a battle for our, for our identity. 
But Father, let us be defined by your word and not the world. Help us know these things are true. Press them into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.